the arms of my chair have to be the same height or else I feel like I'm going to tilt over and go Titanic on you. <laughs> What's that new ship that went over? What? A ship sunk? Yeah, and the captain ran away. Ran? <laughs> into the sea? <laughs> he ran so fast he walked on water. <laughs> like the lizard? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. This is a good start to our podcast. What are you doing? We really want to stop him. I guess I, I want to talk about, like, why we're starting a podcast in the first place. Yeah, why are we starting a podcast? Um, because, so, I guess there's a couple of examples that made me think that it would be a good idea. And they were, they would be, like, the um, Starbucks for the Rest of Us and the Stack Overflow podcast and the Revitalized Stack Exchange podcast and Texing and various other people that somehow managed to get free advice from extremely smart people and um without having to pay for it <laughs> it also gives you a chance to have people kind of get to know you without actually having to spend like hundreds of hours on the phone so hi dear listeners getting to know us <laughs> i'm sold <laughs> i don't know i think podcast is a really great marketing effort because it kind of it like lets you show that you're real and like kind of where you're coming from and uh i mean it's hard to trust companies you know and not everyone has a Twitter machine. We want people to know we have a Twitter machine. Birds on wheels. <laughs> That's right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been listening to podcasts for a really long time. I used to listen to them in my car when I was driving to my day job before we started Root Buzz. Were we recording the Otaku Pride podcast at that point? We, well, it was after the, the um, Stack Overflow podcast that we started doing the Otaku Pride podcast. But the Otaku Pride ca- podcast was, I would say, an overt failure in terms of being a marketing effort. It was, I don't know. No, I wouldn't say that. I, okay, Otaku Pride is a community for anime and manga people. Okay. So we built this community, well, we built this community from scratch, basically. And the podcast was a way of being able to interact with the people in the community, sort of, in a passive way, I guess. It was a way for them to get to know us, but also to get to know that we had no idea anything about the thing that their community is mainly concerned with, which is to say, anime. I think we did a good job of faking it till we were making it. Um, I think we did a good job of wasting a lot of time researching anime so we'd have enough things to talk about. Yeah, so we became <laughs> Which de facto thought leaders by... Many thought leaders. Many thought leaders, yeah. Like so a little I, statue of a thought leader. People in the community looked to us for our opinions on things because they saw us as a good source. Because we had a podcast. And how many um, Twitter subscribers or followers do we have now? I think we're at 4,500. Jesus. Yeah. Oh, let's talk about Plugio. So, I, I actually have that as a whole topic of stuff that I want to talk about. Cool. Yeah. I wanted to hear, like, so we've both been using Plugio. So if you don't know what Plugio is, Plugio is a Twitter, like, productivity tool, sort of. I mean, that's a super spammy sounding way to say what it is. But basically, it's a way to grow your Twitter following and sort of manage the things about Twitter that are annoying. Like, say you want to have a tweet posted at the exact time when your product releases, you can schedule the tweet to go out at that time so you don't have to be sitting there waiting to click the send button. You know what I mean? Um, it also has tons of other power user features. If you're using Twitter as a marketing tool, check it out. It's like Plugio, plug, plugio.io, plugio.com. 
Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't use URLs anymore. <laughs> yeah, plugio.com. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, this is by um, one of the co-hosts of Texing. So he's a cool guy. I don't know. I Justin mean, Vincent. Yeah, Justin. Um, full disclaimer. I don't know. You don't make money off it or anything, but we know him kind of through the internets. <laughs> I know him through the internets. <laughs> Whatever. I guess it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, and Texing is awesome too. I like Texing. I like those guys. So I started my personal Twitter account probably a, a couple years ago. Yeah, me too. And I guess I really didn't use it for much until a few months ago when mm-hmm. I started getting a little bit more active. And I, not that I have a lot of Twitter followers or anything, but I'm around 300 right now, which has been a, a decent pickup over the last couple of months when I started actually using it and following people that I actually care about. Right. So Plugio is decent for that, which I only started doing maybe three weeks ago. Uh, they have a, I, I basically put in terms that I like and right. I try to filter them down into groups of people so, that I'm so interested in. So what are the terms in. that you like? So, one that I was using that doesn't work well is WordPress. So, <laughs> I learned that with people and that one sucked. Oh yeah. So when I, w- I was looking for like WordPress developers, which would be a better term right there, but by using WordPress, then it's finding all these people that just have links to their WordPress blogs and their profile information. Um, oh yeah, information. it matches inside the URLs. Right. Yeah, it's pretty naive. But That's why hashtags work so much better. Yeah, I'm down with hashtags. <laughs> yeah, I've been using hashtags for almost everything unless it's a super unique word. Like I've I'm a Python developer primarily, so I searched like one of my keywords is Python and stuff because no one would say that in the middle of a domain. And if they did, like I would probably want to follow them. Jangonaut. Jangonaut. Jangonaut's another one of my um, un hashtag condoms uh, filters. So you said you had Django Pony in there. What kind of results do you get with that? I don't that? have Django Pony in there anymore. Okay. <laughs> it didn't work well. I can't imagine. It, it, it just didn't match anything. Uh huh. I would never talk about the Django Pony. Well, the Django Pony is kind of like the mascot of the Django community. Okay. Does it program? Uh, no, but every Django conference seems to end up with a plush doll of a pony. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> things I like about Plugio. I, the main feature that I like about Plugio that keeps me going back to it is one that I don't really utilize yet, but I want to. What's and that? it's the RSS feeds. Oh, I use that. So you can have RSS feeds there and then schedule to tweet out when you want to right. shoot you out. You know what I wish? We, we should be like, we should have talked to Justin before this and <laughs> try to get money. Anyway, um, <laughs> be like, hey, Justin. <laughs> um, no, I wish that I could get those RSS feeds to appear as a, um, like a river of news as opposed to clicking each individual one to mm-hmm. see the post. Because like John Resick never posts, but when he posts, I want to know about it. I want yeah. it front and center. But there's no way to really make that happen except to click every single feed. And at this point, I have like 20 feeds in there. So it's it gets a bit arduous, but I don't know, whatever. I guess it's worth it. I use the unfollow notif- like um, suggestions a lot because uh-huh. it's like, I don't know. I mean, a lot of those people, they're not following you and you just like forgot you're following them. It depends. I mean, if there's someone who... I value their opinion and I want to hear what they're talking about. I don't care if they're not following me back. Someone well, yeah, like but once Eric you click, keep them, it never suggests them again as an unfollow. Okay. So like, I mean, maybe like your hundred people who you act like you really care about them being in your feed. Like you say on like keep them for whatever the one time and then that's it. Plugio suggested that I unfollow Justin Vincent. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> also, it was like, unfollow Justin. It's like, um, okay. 
I followed him I, back I feel like in programming Plugio, it should be a special case where you don't suggest to unfollow Justin Vincent. <laughs> Just because he's the creator. But anyway, I feel like Plugio has a, some like shortfalls and stuff that cause me to use multiple social media tools yeah, to manage all does. of our accounts. So I'm trying to figure out how to really use a RootBuzz Twitter account. Because I've been using my personal account, which is great. And it's nice because there's a face attached with that. Yeah. So people are seeing that I'm a real person. But when you see RootBuzz, you see a company logo, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit harder to try to give that a lot of personality and interact with the people in the way that you want to, just so like a regular person. How much person. difference do you think that makes, having a face versus a company? I think it makes a lot of a difference. I, I don't know. I feel like when you see someone's face, you can instantly you know, connect with them or identify them as being that person, that Twitter handle. I mean, right? I don't disagree. I was just interested to see, like, what's the magnitude of difference. I mean, Are I we see talking it. about, like, you have a 10% easier chance or 50 or 100 or, like, a 1,000% better chance of people following you back? Okay, so if I was doing, like, blind follows, like, I just click the follow button and then don't have any interaction with the person directly, like a, an at reply or something to something they said, I feel like my chance of getting followed is, like, cut in half. You know, so that's a pretty big difference. It is, definitely. So I think it requires a lot more finesse and taking the time to interact with the people that you want to follow on Twitter, that you want to follow you back. Right. How many of your like people that you follow, do you like go out of your way to make sure you like send them an individualized message by hand? Um, on my personal account, I honestly, I spend more time on my personal account lately than I have okay. on the RootBuzz account, and I'm trying to start doing the RootBuzz account more. So I think I spend more time, I make an effort to every day at least contact one person and try to get into an actual... <laughs> one? <laughs> well, no, How many no. people do you follow? More than one, but one person <laughs> to actually have a conversation with. Okay. You know? So like Turntable FM is really cool. So I'll go on Turntable FM Okay. and it'll show me when someone in my Twitter like following list... So Turntable FM is... Is a way that I like got to talk to a couple people that I was following on Twitter that weren't following me yet. Because it would show me that they were on Turntable FM huh. when I was on there. Like, they were online in a room. So I'd be like, oh, he looks cool. I, oh, I'm following him. He just him. followed you on Twitter? Yeah. That kind of thing? So wow. I'd go in his room. All right, so if you don't know what Turntable is, it's a music service where up to five people can pick what songs play. Like, basically five of the users of the site make the songs for the radio station. They make the playlist. And then everyone else in the room listening to the music votes like, yes, this is good or no, this is bad. Yeah, cool service. I it's like pretty it. neat. It's yeah. fun. And there are a lot of cool DJs and, you know, actual high people that have good visibility that are on the site interacting yeah. with people. So it's kind of neat. Um, what's the that DJ that, like, made his platform? DJ Wu. DJ Wu. So, I mean, this is a thing I've been noticing happening. Like, what do you mean made the platform? Well, DJ Wu has, like, made Turntable his platform. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like, thought you meant he made Turntable. No, no, no. Okay. He, like, decided Turntable is going to be his platform. And, like, I've been noticing this has been happening, like, a lot with web services that are free to use from the users. Like, I mean, a lot of people, this, like, in the more traditional sense, like, WordPress has become a platform, Flickr has become a platform, but mm -hmm. some things you wouldn't expect to become a platform, like Turntable, yeah. is becoming his platform for promoting his music, and he's a DJ, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you wouldn't expect, like, I don't know, I mean, it's kind of cool seeing, like, these sort of off the beaten path um, sort of services being turned into platforms because they have good APIs. I mean, it's just one argument yeah. for making a great API. Do you think 
it's something that's going to become pretty popular with these people that have been utilizing MySpace as their platform. Because that's basically well, what MySpace music, turned but into, I mean, right? Like, just you know, across the board, like Google yeah. Plus lets you do things that you weren't other, like previously able to do. Like, um, what are those things called? Hangouts. Like mm-hmm. now you can have as many people as you want to follow you in a hangout. So now people could do podcasts with basically no friction in a Google Plus hangout. Like they could make Google Plus their platform gotcha. if they wanted to. I don't know. It's just it's an interesting thing that's starting to happen. Like people are becoming more okay with company controlling the content that they create and their distribution channel. That's true. Whereas, like, I don't know if it's good. I mean, I kind of think it was better back when everyone had their own blog and everyone had their own server and you owned your own stuff and you didn't have to worry about that kind of thing. I think a lot of people got tired of having their own blog where they had to always consistently update something or else it would die. You still have to or else people will not care about you. But I think the people that are blogging now are more serious about what they're doing, you know? They actually care and they're not having a blog where they post for two weeks and then they go, ah, it's too much work. Yeah. You know, now you have people that are creating good content and creating, I guess, quality stuff that people want to talk about or interact with or share with their friends. Right. Well, on the topic of people trusting companies with their content, um, have you seen the Google's new terms and conditions thing? I saw it. I got an email from them. Did I read it? No. So I, I actually went and took a look at the terms and conditions page, the new one that they're going to, it goes into effect in like, you know, I don't want to say it because I don't actually know it, but it's one of those M months, like March or May or, or Montober, Montober, <laughs> one of them. Um, but um, it's actually, they did a really good job. It's extremely readable. I mean, you can go on there and read it. It's plain English. It's formatted in a way where like the section headings are big and bold and the the text within them is smaller and you know lighter font and stuff and it's actually pretty easy you can go in there and just read it it's plain english pretty much this is basically one terms and conditions to rule them all right that too yeah they only have one terms and conditions across all their services now which is pretty interesting because i think so they i've been seeing ads in the subways by google and it's sort of like Google has never run ads to raise awareness of their products. They only now they're starting to advertise because they've been getting a little bit of bad press, like scary Google. And um, so I think they're trying to combat people being afraid of them as a company more than anything else. Hmm. And this terms and conditions and also I think the theming of all their stuff to look the same is a part of a greater effort to make their products and services seem like more of like a single thing and one of the benefits of that is they don't seem like such a huge company like when you know gmail and google search and google plus and youtube all look the same they start to all be sections of google instead of all these different websites that google owns like Mm -hmm. you don't think of google as owning a thousand services that you rely on you think of google as being one thing with a bunch of features right so like they're doing the opposite of what a startup is trying to do instead of saying hey, look, we have all these different products. They're like, hey, all these things that we've done are all features of Google, not products offered by Google. I think that's awesome because they've been getting really good at fragmenting their stuff Yeah. in the past. Well, ever since Larry Page became the CEO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So like, I don't think Google is especially interesting, so let's not talk about them for too, too long. Yeah. Oh, one last Google thing. Oh, great. Um, so I saw this thing on Hacker News about fonts in the Google um, web font directory. Okay, because fonts are interesting. Well, they're actually, so 
other instead of like Typekit, like you're if you're a designer, you mm-hmm. probably know what Typekit is. Let's you use fonts on your website, and um, Google Font Directory is basically the same exact thing, except for the main difference being that it's free. And um, Google has a lot of bad fonts, so usually people go, oh, let me check out this free option, and then everything they look at sucks. But this guy made a GitHub repository where he's basically has this big HTML page with a list of the fonts that are good and examples of them in use, like how to use them and like what they look like. So it's hand-curated. It's a hand-curated list. It's only like 10 fonts, but they actually are very good-looking fonts. And a lot of them are rip-offs of classic fonts, but whatever, that's what fonts are like. I mean, there's only so many ways to display the letter A. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. But I mean, it's a really good list. Like, that's kind of going to be my go to thing, like, for web fonts. Like, are any of these, can any of these work? And if they can, it's like, mm-hmm. that's what I'm using because it's free. And I mean, it's, hey, what the, why not? Yeah, true. So I've been using Hootsuite a bit lately yeah. because I started using them a while ago before they had, I think, before they had their paid plans. So this was a couple of years ago. But they offer scheduling tweets too. Okay. which I really liked and they have good extensions on well I use Chrome now but I think I was using Firefox at the time yeah so it's easy to just you know click the button have the drop down come up and be able to post your tweet or schedule it or whatever but they have good integration with most other social platforms too like I think they have Tumblr they have Facebook uh, Google Plus I'm not so sure so what, what do you think about cross posting because I think cross posting <laughs> like it's good in the sense that it lets lots of people get your content but uh-huh. is I mean I've heard that it's not the greatest thing for like SEO and it's a little bit spammy right because like your content may not be appropriate for Facebook if it's appropriate for Twitter or even more so your content may not be appropriate for like a blog if it's appropriate for Twitter I think it really depends on your audience on each platform it depends on the company for us we're B2B right, right. so it might not always make sense to post something that we would put on Twitter on Facebook because Facebook might contain more end users like on our Otaku Pride site, but it doesn't really have the companies interacting with other companies. It has companies interacting with their customers. Sure. More so. Okay. So you, what you're saying is like the people you're going to end up marketing to, so to speak, are not people that have the power or the motivation to really look at possible products for their company to use. Yeah. It all depends on what you're talking about too. If it's something directly related to your product. Well, wait, hang on a sec. Because people using Facebook as a marketing channel to their end users, those mm-hmm. are the specific people who would end up using RootBuzz yes. to con- to interact with those same people, but at a deeper level. And also so they can own their content instead of Facebook owning it, right? Right. So, like, wouldn't we want to interact with them through Facebook because that's the specific person who's going to use it? Yeah, I think that... Oh, so we should, but we need to it use depends. it. It's a different medium. Different messages in Facebook? If we're using Facebook to go after the people who are using Facebook to talk to their customers, Mm -hmm. I think that's very specific and it could or could not work. I'm not sure. But is is there a medium that they're on where they're more receptive to talking to us than on a place where they're talking to their end users? Maybe LinkedIn. On the other hand, when they're talking to people, they're they're already receptive to responding to and you know, answering all kinds of messages. Right. Whereas in Twitter, they might be in like broadcast mode because that's kind of how companies tend to use Twitter. It is. I've seen companies being a lot better lately though at individually responding to each person, you know, that marketing tweets. Yeah. Like basically, do they respond to us marketing to them on Twitter? Oh, um, well I haven't really tried that yet. So right now I'm just trying to 
build up our follow following ratio and everything like that try to get people that I think are good thought leaders in my feed so I can start talking to them and learning from them. Right. So like right now I'm starting to follow a lot of community managers mm -hmm. because we're trying to build communities kind of like that's one of the goals right. of group was. So I want to learn how they're doing it so I can do it better. So I care about what they're talking about. Sure. So then when they tweet and I talk to them, then they're more likely to respond because I'm genuinely caring about what they're talking about rather than Have trying to sell of, them on um, something. Have you heard of Clay Shirky? Mm, I've heard of him. I, you can. So he, he wrote a book. Well, he wrote more than one book, but he wrote a book called Here Comes Everybody, which is basically about how the internet is changing the way people cr like group together, you mm -hmm. know? Like people suddenly can make, well, not suddenly, it's 2011, it's 2012. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2012, right? So like people have been able to group together with people like them now for 12, even 15 years. I mean, the internet has existed for 20 years, but like, I don't know, let's call critical mass the year 2000. <laughs> sure. Uh, we'll call it 1999. Okay. 13 years. Better. Lucky 13. So, <laughs> um, you know, the last time the internet was going crazy, we'll call that critical mass. So, like, people have been able to make these groups and find people who are like them, have similar interests to them that they never were able to before in history. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I mean, maybe there's only 100 people out there who like dressing up their kittens in dog sweaters. That's it. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because if they all go on the internet they can all go on you know a community site of some sort whether it's you know Twitter and they all follow some hashtag or whatever and they can all find each other and talk about this stuff so you're saying we can have tons of very small verticals well it's possible yeah mm -hmm. and I think companies probably want to target verticals because the verticals are where they have like you want to market to a vertical, right? Because if that vertical has a need, all the people in that vertical have a need. So your marketing cost, once you figure out what that need is and you market to them, it's very cheap. And you can be very specific in those niches. Yeah. And you can say like, this will make your cat look just awesome in a dog sweater. Right. <laughs> exactly. Or even if it's more specific, it could be pink dog sweaters. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this may be a dead end conversation. Yeah, I'm kind of. <laughs> anyway, Clay Shirky <laughs> wrote this book, and um, this is one of the things that they talked about on the Stack Overflow podcast quite a bit. Is Clay Shirky and his ideas about communities and like not just what things can you try. Like we are both you know techie type people. We're both developers. We kind of have this mindset of just try a bunch of things and see what works. But you can't do that with people because if you try something that doesn't work with people, they all leave, right? Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, that doesn't really work well in the practical world of community building. So he has all these ideas and like theories about um, what things are help a community grow and what things seem like they're going to help a community grow, but in the long run, like destroy the community, they're actually poisonous to the community. And, um, you know, what kind of pitfalls to expect as the community scales up, you know, like when you have a hundred users, you don't have the same problems as a thousand users. And then you don't have the same problems as 10,000 or a hundred thousand, you know, mm -hmm. like every stage, it's like a whole new set of problems and things that used to be great suddenly become a problem. Like the feedback button on a talk of pride. Yes. Like that's great when you have a hundred users, they send you feedback, you email them back. It's awesome. When you get to a hundred thousand users, Suddenly, you can't email back all of those people because there's, I mean, you're just getting way too many emails. 
But that doesn't mean that you can't respond to any of them. Some you of them weren't responses, right? What do you mean? I mean, sometimes people will say something and it's not that what they're saying doesn't matter, but it doesn't always warrant a response. Okay. Sometimes they're just leaving you a comment. So well, it would be at nice some point, to... you can't read them all. Okay. Like, maybe 100,000 users, you can read them all. But then let's talk about a million users. Like, can you read 10 times as many? Can you read 100 times as many? Right. Can you read 1,000? I mean, you're not going to hire a full-time staff to read feedback emails. Not at our scale. No. But I think lots of companies do have people that... Well, they do have people. It's called support. Right, but they try to reduce the number of feedback emails. They certainly wouldn't make an achievement in their system for sending you, like, basically spam. Now, this kind of goes into something that I, I've been thinking about and we've talked about a couple times, which is live chat. So we've had users request live chat on our sites. Right, they want to talk to each other, though. Yeah, but also, I think having live chat between them and the support of a company or whoever's representing their company on a RootBuzz site... So I think that could be something positive because then you're having one-on-one -on -one interaction in live time, so real time. So then those questions get answered a lot quicker. If you need to, to discover what the person's actually talking about or what their deeper problem is, mm. it, it lets you get to it so much faster than in an email correspondence. That can take a long time, right? That's so true. You're looking at like four to five email interactions maybe. But that's kind of the point of having it going to repos. Then the support staff don't have to answer it. The email, the answer can come from another user, which lets it be super fast. I mean, like mm -hmm. if all the users are helping each other, and you have, if you hit critical mass, there's actually enough people to answer each other's questions. They can get the answer basically immediately, and the support staff could still be answering questions. But it takes a lot of the load off them, and it lets the when there's no support staff, like at two in the morning, mm -hmm. like someone in I don't know California or Asia or I mean wherever it make wherever it is there's people awake could be answering the question. That's true. I mean, that's one of the awesome benefits of the internet. Well, no, I'm totally down with that. I'm just thinking, are there situations where it's possible that having live chat on there will increase the rate at which questions get answered? Right. And it definitely will help people, but it won't let us harness the answers to the questions the way we can when it's in the whole, the root buzz platform as it is now. Agreed. So how do we get it? How do we harness it? Right. I think that might just be a hurdle that we can figure out how to overcome and make it so when those live chats happen. Are you volunteering me to do natural language processing again? No. <laughs> <laughs> when those live chats happen, like if we created live chat in our site to be able to archive the conversation or something with anonymity so that people aren't like people and in information that's critical to an account or something isn't displayed it could be possible to then turn those conversations into good content that could be useful for the community. Right. But how do you distill down the useful parts? Yeah, that, that's a hurdle. <laughs> <laughs> that's a hell of a hurdle, man. It is. That's a little wall. I don't know. I, I was reading, there was a blog post on... I feel on like you're telling me, like, so we're going to escape from Alcatraz. Yes. And, and then, then we'll be free. <laughs> That sounds simple enough. All you have to do Get is escape island. from Alcatraz. Right, jump. So <laughs> I'll talk to the guard. You escape. <laughs> uh -huh. my, my thoughts on this are coming from a blog post from Kissmetrics. Okay. And they were basically... Wait, what's Kissmetrics? I don't actually know them. Um, what do they do? They write good blog posts. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that is what they do. Um, so anyway, I don't, I'll get back to what they do later. Right now, what I care about is what they think about live chat. Okay. So they were basically, they had 
five pretty compelling reasons. I mean, maybe more like four really good reasons, but five sounds better in a blog post title. Basically, they're saying that when you allow live chat to happen, it's much better for the customer experience. And if someone's having a problem with something and they need a replacement part and you want to figure out what's wrong with it really quick, it's yeah. good for diagnosing a problem, right? So maybe our use for live chat is the kinds of questions that just aren't suited to the system. Right. Like, for instance, we have a customer. I don't think we're really at liberty to discuss no. them, but they're, they have some content in their Rupa site already. And some of this content that we imported from their previous support, like email support, is like... I can't figure out like this thing. And basically the answer is uh, like an item number, like go buy this. Mm. Like that doesn't really lend itself to the Rupa's platform. You want things that are searchable and the only really unique thing in there that's searchable is the item number. And if they knew that, they wouldn't need to, to ask the question in the first place, right? Right. So like maybe that's the kind of thing live chat is good for, but how do we communicate this to the community in a way that they don't just always use live chat instead of, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. So. I think that makes it in, okay. So this is a, a site-specific feature that works well for some customers and not others, depending on what their their product is or what they offer to their customers, right? Right. So maybe like a techie company or a retailer would be better off having this feature in there, but somewhere else, I'm trying to think of a good example, somewhere where it wouldn't be as beneficial. like. On the OP community, the Otaku Pride site, that's just it a community. Because they just they want to shoot the shit anyway. Like if they're not even there really for the purposes of fixing things. Right. That so was that, before we knew like how we were going to monetize this product. Yeah, that was a B two C community instead of, well, I guess all our communities in the end are B two C between a company and their customers, but it's not the same as this community. So anyway. live chat is good for, <laughs> why does Kissmetrics think that we need live chat? It, let's see. Basically, one of the things they said was it increases sales. Because people yeah. who wouldn't have converted are willing to convert once you answer their one question, which might be unique and not answered on your website. Basically, if someone gets confused, that question can be answered right away. Okay, and for sales, while I totally agree. Yeah. Groupbuzz is a terrible, terrible platform for sales support. If you have a question about something you want to buy, you want the answer as soon as possible. You, It's not the kind of thing where the community comes in and ans answers your question because you want to buy it. Right. They're more likely to be on a company's product page at that point. And they need the answer basically instantly. They just don't care enough to wait for an answer. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to want to answer those questions. Like part of what makes a Rupa site work is the questions have to be interesting enough to the core community to want to answer them. Sure. Uh, another thing that they were talking about was that basically other people don't have chat. So if you have chat, you have an edge up on everyone else, right? Right. So that makes sense. But again, it doesn't always make sense. What happens sense. when everyone has chat? That, then I don't know. Uh, we need a telepathy plugin. <laughs> you know, it, it really comes down to one of those things where maybe you're ahead of the curve right now. So, so I've told you this out of, well, not out of band, but not on the podcast before. I was thinking that we would build chat as a separate product mm -hmm. and then have just really good integration with RootBuzz. Um, but I don't know. You didn't seem totally sold on that idea. So maybe we could talk about that. Sure. Okay. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense because then that allows us to address those times when it makes a lot of sense to have it on a product page, but not on the Rupa's community page. Right. So like as a chat plugin, they either put it on their site or they put it on the Rupa's or, or both. both. 
Yeah. Do we charge extra for both? For both? I... $100 million extra for both. Okay. <laughs> and we only need one customer, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes <laughs> it's sense. It's like Amy Hoy's. Um, Step one. <laughs> 30 customers at $500 each, or 500 customers at $30 each a month. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think what we need to really think about is... Chat's been done, right? Right. We know how to chat with people. We've been using AIM since the 90s, right? Yeah. So, so what... to make it better. Exactly. So I, I think the key in there is having those differentiating features. Like, how do we make it so when people find things that come up in chat a lot, like questions that would be good for a RootBuzz community post, how do we address that and make it so that we can put that information online easily so then it cuts down on those repetitive questions? We could do some information gathering on their behalf, mm -hmm. like gather up like what browser are they using and what version, do they have Flash installed and what version of Flash and I don't know, all kinds of stuff and just have that debug information available. Like it's stuff they could collect, but at the time of asking the question, it's useful to just be like, let me find out about this person. Like what's their username? And, I don't know. That might be, it might help. So lots of times when people have like a tech support question, it might be something on their screen, right? And then how do you like communicate? Like Yeah, basically. Like, how do you communicate what's going on on your screen with someone else? So do you allow for screen easy screenshots and sharing images with people? Or do you allow for a screen share type thing? You know, things like that can make the experience better for, for the end user. Maybe we could affiliate with like join me or whatever. Something like that, some screen. I mean, I feel so unenthused about building a screen sharing. No, I'm not saying <laughs> we should build out everything from scratch, but I bet there are APIs out there that'll. Right. Oh, I think Join Me is great. It's okay. like a free plug for them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm looking at Kissmetrics homepage. It says actionable customer insights to improve your bottom line and increase the lifetime value of your customer. And I have to say, I think they need to optimize their copy a bit because that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. <laughs> okay. Or maybe I'm not their customer. I mean, what you'll discover on this page is a lot more informative to me. Why you need both Kissmetrics and Google Analytics. So I guess it's like uh, an analytics package that is a supplementary. Right. That sounds like business metrics. Yeah. Business metrics versus like traffic metrics. By the way. On the topic of Google Analytics, it is awesome the kinds of custom reports you can make out of it. Oh, you know, yeah. you could track like 10 domains into one account and then just set up like advanced segments to see them separately. I did not. <laughs> now I do. Well, it's awesome. Let me tell you it's awesome because like when you're in our position, you're running like tons and tons of sites. Mm -hmm. It really sucks to be making a new Google Analytics like site profile for every single thing you want to track. You want to just like hard code it into your engine and like, well, not hard code, but you know what I mean. Yep. And then just have them all track into one account. So you can see like, okay, this last feature we pushed, did it like totally screw conversions or anything? And one account to rule them all. Exactly. <laughs> you're really on the Lord of the Rings thing today, huh? I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what else? Um, did you see that um, Linux tablet? There's two hundred seventy dollar. It was on Hacker News. There's a two hundred and seventy dollar tablet computing like tablet device that um, runs KDE. And how do you feel about this? It's neat. I'm a total Apple fanboy, and I won't buy it because I have an iPad. Okay. But I'm also a little bit of a Linux fanboy, and I think it's awesome and I, it's great. I, the UI definitely needed some help. It was like a desktop UI with like 
touch interface optimizations. Like it still had the window model. Like there's still draggable windows. Is this like the netbook OS? No. Okay. This is a tablet. Tablet, tablet, no keyboard, no folding. I get that, that. it's okay. physically a tablet, but you know how they modded Linux when it was going into netbooks a couple of years ago? Oh, but that was just desktop Linux and then installed on netbooks. And then there was this thing, I think it was called um, Xandros, okay. which was basically like a Debian modded for Linux. And uh, I think we're getting pretty in the weeds here about Linux sure. stuff. I was a pretty huge Linux fanboy, and I used it as my only operating system for like five years. Ugh. So, dude... When you don't have a Mac, yeah. the other option is Windows. And at the time, it was Windows Vista. So it was worth it. <laughs> All right. I, I'll... My next computer after that, I was like totally converted to Unix. And now I use Mac. And, uh, you know, I know most Mac users don't know how to launch the terminal. But the <laughs> terminal is great. Agreed. Anything with a Unix terminal is worth using, even if it's, you know, controlled by a company who you don't necessarily trust. Mm -hmm. What about templating in chat? Like AT&T. Okay. <laughs> Templating in chat. Yeah. So uh, I'm thinking with email, lots of times you'll have canned responses that are good fits for anything, right? But if that's the case, don't you think that we should use the auto-suggest API that we've been talking about for our regular question asking on chat? So as soon as they start typing in the question, like show the support person, like we are predicting with 90% certainty that the answer to this question is this canned response. And they could be like paste, just like a button, just click paste. Yeah. Maybe we just discovered our value prop. Okay. <laughs> I like that. That sounds good. Have it integrate well with RootBuzz so that we can point them to the correct and questions. And if the answer is already a RootBuzz post, then that is also cool. All right. I like this. See? That's good. Aren't I, you glad we're doing a podcast? I am. Now all our competitors can know our idea for our killer feature before we even start building the product. Good. I'm not that What's wrong it. with it? I'm so not worried okay. about that. <laughs> I mean, what's the difference between them going on a website and figuring out the information versus hearing it on a podcast? Well, because we didn't build it yet. At least if we built it first, then it would be built before they find out. It, I'm not that concerned. No one is going to listen to this podcast. It's the first. Po oh, by the way, hello and welcome to the Root Buzz podcast number one. This is Jim and I'm Tom. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm James, and this is Tom. This is, uh, crap, you're James now. <laughs> Not now, it's been like two years, people. That's been... crap. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to smack you right in front of the mic, so it sounds like I hit you hard. You did. <laughs> I bruise <laughs> easily. Anyway. like a Georgia peach. But what about, okay, what about things where it's, people are talking about something, and the person there can't answer the question, so it's just like, hey, I'm redirecting you to the general help or the tech person or whatever so then it's just a canned response of contact this support person what's the difference between that and post this as a question on root buzz like wouldn't we want them to post it as a question on root buzz i mean if you're gonna mm -hmm. say i can't answer this question in live chat why have it stay in the silo of email when it could be public i think that comes down to the support person discerning between what is good content here's an idea okay what if we have a way of attaching personal info to a root buzz post like anything you wouldn't want public mm -hmm. so that the support staff can see it but no one else can like we'd need a killer ui for that but like actually i'm not sure if there's a way that we could make that intuitive i'm a little confused on what you're suggesting so for instance i want to get support for something but i have some personal information that i'm not comfortable putting in public like right. hey I paid, like, here's my account number, and I don't know, let's say it's a bank, like, here's my 
I don't know, some information that I have to provide to prove that I'm really the customer here. Okay. Like, or maybe like so that they can look you up. I don't know. Some personally identifiable, inf- inf- identifiable information like account numbers and things like that that people, or email addresses. Sure. Like people don't necessarily want to post their email address on the internet. So that could go in like the, the hidden info section. Of a post? Of a question. Okay. Like in case for a support staff to look at. On the other hand, maybe this is defeating the whole purpose. I don't know. I don't know. Something that personal, I feel like maybe isn't a good question because it's a unique problem, right? But a lot of unique problems happen. Like a lot of problems that you need personally identifiable information to look at the problem itself Mm -hmm. are not unique. All right. I guess what it is is I'm picturing situations where... It does make it so the community can't answer your question, though, and that does suck. Yeah. So I'm picturing a situation where, like, I go to a website where I'm buying an online textbook, Mm -hmm. and I figure out I bought the wrong textbook. (laughs) You know, like, I've done this. I buy edition two instead of edition three or something like that, or three, and it should have been two because the teacher was using an older edition. So I had to contact the support people. And <laughs> this textbook is too up to date. Yeah, right. I need something that's more obsolete. So in that case, it's just something stupid like, hey, can you refund me this and give me this copy and ref- like give me the difference back in my account? Right. That's a unique problem that happens to many people. Right. And that's not good for the platform. Exactly. So that is like a chat type question that would be good for that but not good in the community. Hmm. I'm trying to imagine like Facebook is my canonical example of a company that should be using something like RootBuzz because they have tons of developers they need to support. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it got so bad that they partnered with Stack Overflow and like kudos to them. That's great. I am so for that information being out there. I don't even care who they use. (laughs) Although I'd like it to be us, but whatever. Um, I like Stack Overflow. (laughs) Yeah, they have a great platform. I mean, they're all about hoarding all the content onto, like, various, like, verticals as opposed to letting the companies who are relevant to the topic control it, but whatever. That's that's a difference of philosophy that doesn't really matter. The end result and what's important is that the content becomes available for everyone to find and search on the internet. Anyway, so Facebook. Facebook badly needs a way to communicate and answer the questions of developers who are using who are building on their platform i mean at this point facebook basically offers no support but they constantly break their platform and they have literally hundreds of thousands of developers working on their platform yep like at least peripherally like basically every site with a facebook like post this to facebook button that developer had to do some integration with facebook so like at that point when they break their api and like all these people's websites break they need a solution for that, right? Sure. And those developers, when they hit a bug, it would really help if they could post their API key, right? And say like, hey, can you look at my like my account? Make sure like, because a lot of times with Facebook, they have about, I don't know, 30 or 40 settings for your app in their platform mm-hmm. that you'd like, if you set them wrong, it doesn't work. Okay. So this is kind of the scenario I'm imagining. Like you wouldn't want to post your API key in a question. But if Facebook support was going to answer your question, you'd want them to be able to see it because it would help them answer it faster. So wouldn't that be a a situation where it would be good for the person answering the question, let's say it was happening in live chat, Mm -hmm. to then say, hey, this is good. I can post a general version of the question you asked me along with an FAQ of 
these are the common settings that happen that people put in wrong and this is the right way to do them okay but it kind of breaks like the sort of wiki style of like curating like having the community curate the answers and the question to be like a canonical source of information Mm -hmm. like once it turns into a conversation you can't really edit anymore and if you it becomes a lot of work and sure. as soon as you're making that the support staff's work, yeah. then they it, start... It takes away value from what we're offering. Yeah, it, it kind of makes the platform less valuable. I agree. I, I guess I'm trying to think of a good way in which you can ask specific questions that are customer-specific to an individual person and allow other people to answer them. Because if it's something like, here's my API key or my account number, you're not okay. giving that out and then you're making it hard for anyone to answer it. So how do we solve that? I guess we should just ditch this whole idea. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't so seem... let's move on then. <laughs> so I saw a thing on Hacker News about logging in with a QR code. So oh. like if you've logged in with your phone already, which a lot of times you do, or like let's say you have the app for something on your phone, then you can just pull out your phone and scan the QR code on a website that's on your computer or on any computer. Let's say you're not at your own computer and okay. then it will log you in. You don't have to type your username and password. So especially if you're like at a public library or something and you don't want to trust the computer with your username and password, you go to the website, it gives you a QR code. You scan the QR code, your phone validates out of band from the computer and then Ajax keeps pinging the server to check if you've been authenticated yet and then it logs you in that way. Okay. I don't know, it's cool. Maybe we could do it. <laughs> Why? I don't know. Maybe we'll find an application. I'm certainly not going to build it until we have a use for it, but I think it's neat. Okay. I mean, it's like two. It's like two-step verification, but really, really easy. I'm not sold on it. Why? Because <laughs> I don't know. I don't hear anything that brings more value to us, really, or a real reason to use it. But it's neat. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> so, SOPA didn't pass. Good. <laughs> but have you heard about ACTA? Yeah, ACTA sucks. Okay. So, and ACTA, um, if you don't know, ACTA is like, well, you tell because, like, I'm not really. I'm not very up on that, but it's basically an international SOPA if I'm. Yeah. Well, sort of. That's my understanding. It's basically. Like the EU right now is passing it around and it works just like SOPA, but it across borders. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's basically an opt-in type deal where countries can say, yeah, I'm part of this. So like, I think Obama signed it. I could be totally wrong. What? On that. I'm pretty sure America is on, on the list of ACTA people. <sighs> but this is definitely something I need to research more because I could just be giving false information right Let's now. Let's talk about something happy because we're closing in on like way too much time. We need to be done soon. Like we got to wrap it up. I like happy. Okay. Happy stuff is so good. On, a, on a happy note, um, will you have anything else you want to talk about before we do it? Like I have one last thing. Um, no, mo- most of the stuff that I'm working on right now is sales and marketing and how to be productive. Wait, so let's hear about that. How's, how is sales and marketing going? All right, so I have a tech background and basically the division of labor in Root Buzz right now is <laughs> yep. James is the tech guy and I'm handling sales and marketing now. Right, That's he, me. he's going at it. So <laughs> he's a monster. So anyway, it's kind of like being thrown into a whole new world. I'm used to sitting behind a computer screen and not seeing sunlight, right? Yep. And coding all day long, or at least reading 
Hacker News articles all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's kind of like, okay, I need to be contacting companies, talking to people, building relationships, and building out Rupas okay. for long-term growth. So first it's like, okay, let's make a whole bunch of phone calls. Great. Okay, 85% voicemails. Now what? How do you get them to convert? I remember doing this. Right. <laughs> it didn't work well. No, it's straight up cold calling and there's no compelling reason for someone to answer the phone or respond to your voicemail. Right. So something that I think is going to increase our, our conversion rate a lot as far as just getting that first. How are we measuring this? Uh, okay, so I'm, for emails, I'm using Tout App. So Tout App allows you to have email templates, which you can customize uh, every time you're sending an email to the person, you know, okay. basically you have some kind of basic template and you're adding in information in there. Like customizable stuff? Yeah. So like, let's say I have a general thing that I okay, want to well, get across so to that person. Get, let's uh, get back to the topic of testing. It, how are we testing if it, it works? It has good metrics for distinguishing when someone opens the email or clicks on something in your email. So that allows me to say, okay, that email was good. So basically I make a phone call, I combine it with an email, and then I send a LinkedIn invitation at the same time. So I'm hitting them on three different fronts, right? Wow. So it's like this person really, really wants to be friends with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's basically like I care about forming some kind of relationship with you, whether or not you're going to have a meeting with me. At the very least, you're getting my LinkedIn invitation so we're connected. And if something has the potential to happen down the road, then we're connected. Okay. Right? So you're, you're hitting it from the... I'm leaving you a voicemail, I'm leaving you an email, so you're getting to see what I'm talking about, hear what I'm talking about, and connect with me on a personal level. And okay. on my LinkedIn page, I'm putting Wait, in... what do you email them exactly? Just like, hi? Yeah, that's the first word, right? <laughs> and then I put their name, and then I talk to... I basically say, hi, I'm calling James, you. Yeah. I'm calling you. Well, not on the email. That's <laughs> <laughs> on the voicemail. Anyway, so I'm basically saying, hey, uh, I want to talk to you about how we might be able to help you in regards to your online visibility in search engines or support or whatever that company has a need for or okay. what I think they have a need for. And basically at that point, I just want to learn more about them and see how we could possibly fit in with them. Right. So that's what I'm working on right now. But what I was seeing in just going on the sales approach is, oh, crap. When I'm going after a sale, I need to have marketing material. So then I need to do a context switch and flip into marketing mode and be like, all right, what kind of material does this person need in order to have the information that they can make a decision on? So it's been a lot of context switching between sales and marketing. And I think after this first phase of figuring out what kind of materials I need to have, then things will run a lot smoother. Cool. So what kind of materials? So you said a slide, slide deck? Yeah, uh, I'm working on making a, a deck to put on a slide share that's on the LinkedIn page. So when someone goes on there, they learn a little bit about Rupas. How much? I uh, put like 10 to 15 slides, basically like what Rupa's is, what the benefits of it are. So like slide 14 is our financials, right? No. <laughs> I, I, in, a, in a typical sales process, I, I think the numbers come in last. Because no, no, I meant our corporate financials, what do you not mean? the price of the product. Oh. Like profit and loss statement. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. So, all right. You got me thinking on a tangent mode. <laughs> so basically, I, I think that in startups, it's really tough to do that switch from building your product to then selling your product. Yeah, totally. Because a lot of times you have tech founders, right, that mm -hmm. are building a company. Ideally, it would be a business and a tech co-founder. But 
in our case, we're both tech co-founders. So we're kind of learning the whole sales and marketing deal as we're going along. Sure. So what else do you put in your emails? Like, so there's the slide deck. In a first email, I'm basically saying, hey, I'm, I'm sorry I you know, didn't get you on the phone or something. Um, or maybe, maybe you say that, whatever. The point of the email is to get a phone conversation with them, right? So, hey, sorry I didn't get you on the phone. Yeah, I, I left you a voicemail and a LinkedIn invitation, right? And I'm hoping, you know, next week we can do a short phone call for five minutes or whatever. And I can learn a little bit about how you guys are, you know, utilizing your community or what your search engine strategies are. Right. Something like that. So this depends on who you're emailing. Yeah. What, which one of those two things you say? So basically if I'm going after uh, like a community admin, someone that, that's moderating the for an existing forum that a site has, mm -hmm. I want to learn how they're interacting with their customers or like what their success rate is. Do you generally sign up for their forum before you email them? I'll look at their forum. Um, sometimes it's like customer only forums, so it's difficult. But huh. like a company like, uh, was it Citrix? They have a really good forum, right? It right. It's, has a lot of information and a lot of people that moderate it. So there are a lot of people there that I can contact and learn how they're interacting with their customers and what they think of the platform and sure. what their customers think of it, right? And what they wish it had and that kind yeah. of thing. Okay, cool. So then I get to learn about that aspect of it. But if I'm talking to a marketing person, I want to learn, or like an SEM type person, I want to learn what they're doing in the search engines. If they're doing all pay-per-click or how they're coming up, what keywords they're going for, if they're optimizing for long tail content. Because Rupa's is really a lot about the long tail content. Right. So it's we, all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we can rank for specific keywords, but a lot of the stuff in question form is great because people are asking questions to Google. So we're coming up in those type of results. All right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's totally though, like the main idea. Yeah. Um, so like, what else do you like? So how many emails do you send? Like what's your ratio of phone calls to emails? One to one. You, you make, you send an email for every phone call, but do you do a phone call for every email or do you send emails to people without calling them? I want the trifecta going on. Every so, time for yeah. every single person? Wow. So okay. every phone call I make, it should get an email and a LinkedIn follow up within like five minutes. How about like, do you? If they have Twitter or Facebook, do you also try and hit them there, or is that too personal? Uh, it depends. A lot of times, if I'm going for a social media manager or someone, like on the phone, yeah. A lot of times, I'm following the company account on Twitter. Sure. You know, just because I want to learn about how they're interacting with their customers in another medium. Okay. Or or what type of things they talk about, so I can learn more about them and be able to relate to them. But I, I want to. I don't want to be some cold calling dude. I want to be like. I see you talking about this. Maybe, you know, we can chat about it sometime. Cool. Okay. Well, let's, can we get back to metrics for a sec? Yeah. So like, how do you like tracking those emails? You said with tout, it's like pretty easy. It actually lets you, it tells you your success rate, but like, yep. what about phone calls? Are you like, does, I mean, do, how do you track that? Well, we're using Salesforce. So anytime I make a phone call, I can put in a note. Like usually the notes I put in are follow up on this date. Right. You know? But I can put in something like, uh, I talked to this guy and we're doing a phone convo next week and set an event. Do we have like a success rate on phone calls in Salesforce? Is there I don't a think so. for that? Can there make custom there reports? could be. Um, yeah, there are reports. I would definitely like to look at the conversion rate versus the phone script that we're like using. Sure. Because like we can't record the phone calls, right? With, with phone calls, what would you consider a conversion though? Because 
a lot of times a second phone call letting getting to the second phone call and then that phone call would have its own conversion rate of getting to i don't know a, a lunch meeting mm-hmm. and a lot, a lot of times rate. i think the the conversion to the phone call on the second thing yeah is related more closely to the email than the phone call thing well we could decide how to what to call things yeah. later i'm just curious about how we're actually logging the information in the first place so that we could check how like you know, uh-huh. for instance, maybe the first phone call is super important, and we wouldn't know that until we get a couple of sales and look at what their first phone call was. So basically, you want a B test phone calls, right? But not just getting the second meeting. Yeah, getting all the way through. Sure. Okay. So I, I are we think, tracking that stuff? I don't know. I haven't made any phone calls, so I don't even know. <laughs> no, basically, with the the phone call stuff, I should be, but there are so many different types of conversations, I guess depending on what type of person I'm trying to talk to. Okay. So uh, so maybe we should be A-B testing who we call first. I don't know. We should just write every... Uh, whatever. I'm going to leave... There are a lot of different metrics. Just about yeah. write things down or something. <laughs> um, it's an iterative process more than an A-B process. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, I stumbled over these words, you know, or I choked up. Don't talk about this. <laughs> yeah, totally. So... I don't know. You said you had one more thing you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so I did some homepage slight redesigning stuff. I got a screenshot of the RootBuzz platform on there, mm-hmm. and I put a nice big headline which um, says, guaranteed to increase your organic search traffic, and then a little more descriptive text to really like simplify like what is it exactly that RootBuzz is and what are we offering? And then right below it, it explains that it does it using a Q&A platform. Right. Blah, blah, blah. So I think this will help people understand what it is that RootBuzz actually does. Because so far, our main problem with the website is people really don't even understand like what RootBuzz is. So I think this should help clarify, clarify things. And I also added a little handwritten text that says, Our RootBuzz, pointing to the link where we're dogfooding the platform. We actually have RootBuzz on the RootBuzz site. Yeah. So people can go, oh, okay, this is what it will look like. And they click the link and it will show them what it's going to like actually be. Like, what can I like? Let's see a demo site. And they can see our repos fill up with some questions, which we answer ourselves. So I'm not sure exactly. Maybe this isn't the best example, but it's a good enough example. And they can sort of see what to expect. Well, we're launching a few repos sites this week. So I'd like to get some links on the homepage showing, you know, what their original site looks like and what the root buzz site looks like because sure. they look basically exactly the same i think the custom theming and single sign-on is one of our big things like this the really highly integrated nature of it so maybe this um image that i have right now of our root buzz we could have it change into like one of those like image rotator thingies that shows like different root buzz sites like our different clients root but obviously with their permission right but um, I think that'd be a good place for that because then it really communicate, like drives that point home. Like this is really, really going to be a part of your site. This is not some like, can we say the names of our competitors on here? Yeah, sure. This we, is not some like Zendesk thing that's going to be like, we're, we're just going to change some colors to be your colors. This is like, this is in your website. People won't even know they're on a different domain. Yeah, I, I think that's a good topic for the next podcast, talking about different features and aspects that us and people that have companies that have similar products really focus on on that note we just passed an hour so cool so all right we got some uh stuff for next week (laughs) i won't be here next week i'll be uh yeah so two weeks from now all right all right see you next time